As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a win against Bournemouth at Stamford Bridge. It's a Christmas miracle. By humbug, Rhys James is injured again. We look ahead to the New Year's Day meeting of the two two-time European champions. And CFCW take the England out of Chelsea. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. We are then, gang. This is our last show of 2022. As ever, it's been a memorable year in the world of Chelsea Football Club. It's me, Matt Davis Adams, today, joined by the Athletics' Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Good morning, Matthew. Many, many. What do we say? All the best for the season. I guess festive season. Is that what yeah, we're or just what day it is? I think is pretty. Standard, yeah, that's probably better. Uh, yeah. Opening what day is at it? This time of year, isn't it? I'm not sure, actually. I think I want to feel like Wednesday, maybe Wednesday when we record. It's the day after Chelsea beat Bournemouth anyway. Uh, Jesse Parker Humphreys is back with us too. How are you doing, Jesse? I'm good, thanks. It's my birthday tomorrow, so I always find this period of the year I can decide, you know, pre-birthday or, you know, after birthday day. It's <laughs> handy like that. Well, many happy returns. Um, I won't make Dom and I feel bad by asking you how old you're going to be, but let's just assume that it is significantly younger. <laughs> of us. Uh, right, later today, we've got news of a big outgoing transfer for the women's team, a quiz, and an MDA derby preview. But first, to Stamford Bridge. Here's Mason Mount. He never misses a game. Sterling across. <laughs> Who wants it? Mount does. <laughs> Wanted it. Scored it beautifully. What a lovely finish from Mason Mount. And what an evening Chelsea are enjoying in the rain at Stamford Bridge. Well, the performance first half I thought was really positive. We attacked well, had a good um, attitude to get the ball back. Defended well when we had to. Um, and to score two goals, keep a clean sheet overall was, was, was good for us. We needed to win, we needed to play better. Uh, I think we did that. Chelsea 2, Bournemouth nil the day after Boxing Day then. A win which falls smack dab in the middle of the much-needed category for Potter's people. Quick-fire first-half goals from Kai Havertz, hi Liam, and Mason Mount got the job done for Chelsea, who move up to the dizzying heights of eighth place. Dom and I were on hand for this one, and Dom sent us this voice note at full time. 
So Chelsea have stopped the rot and are back to winning ways in the Premier League, though this being this club, it is never that simple. A comfortable victory over Bournemouth ended up overshadowed by another potential injury suffered by the returning Rhys James that will have Graham Potter and his staff fretting once again. James have been excellent up to the interval here on his first appearance since damaging knee ligaments in the win in Milan in mid-October, punching holes in Bournemouth's left flank for fun. He was never going to play the full game, but five minutes into the second half, he stretched down in front of the home dugout, planted his right leg, and immediately signaled to the bench that he needed to come off. Two members of the medical staff treated him on the pitch, but he ended up hobbling away. It has to be said that I'm relaying this at full time while Chelsea's medical staff are still presumably assessing the England fullback downstairs in the changing room. There will be scans and further tests back at Cobham in the next 24 hours before anything definitive emerges. But the reality is that he looked in real discomfort down on the touchline, head in hands, and dismayed to be coming off. It was such a shame because the game itself had largely been restorative. Mason Mount was outstanding in a roving number 10 role. Raheem Sterling looked refreshed, rejuvenated on the right of a front three. Christian Pulisic provided nuisance value, a plenty on the opposite flank. Kai Havertz offered some bite. Dennis Zakaria was aggressive and a leggy presence in midfield. Thiago Silva was as imperious as ever. Kepper a source of reassurance. And it had been brilliant to have Rhys James back. Their displays ensured Chelsea's run of three successive league defeats suffered pre-World Cup has been checked with a timely victory. Albeit they always win when I cover them, to be fair. Liam and Simon take note. The hope is that this performance might set the tone for everything that follows, although that might now depend upon the severity of James's latest setback. Well, um, Liam and Simon take note indeed. Um, other than the fact that you're possibly holding your phone a little bit close to your mouth, which made it sound like a report from the 1970 World Cup, I thought that... <laughs> could have gone on BBC Radio 5 Live with no issues, Dom. There's a, there's a second oh. career there waiting for you as a as a reporter, should you ever... Some might say a first career. Um. <laughs> Quite, yeah, yeah. A broadcaster, I should say. Um, <laughs> Jesse, we'll get to, to the Reese James injury, because that's obviously the, the headline from the game in a lot of ways. But let's start with some positives first. Um, this was a, a decent performance from Chelsea, wasn't it? Certainly for the first hour and, and built from a, from a back four. Maybe that's going to be the way to go going forward. Yeah, I think it's easy to caveat this game with feeling like, oh, it's Bournemouth. But given the level that Chelsea were performing at before the World Cup, it definitely felt like a game where equally it being Bournemouth could have been as much as a, you know, extra damning indictment over Potter's reign at Chelsea as being an opportunity to kind of play some more free-flowing football. I did think Bournemouth were pretty bad defensively um, in terms of kind of the way they seemed happy to watch balls sort of sail past their defence without making much movement towards them. But in terms of the shape and and using the back four, it felt like it gave that front three in particular and then also Mason Mount as kind of this freer 10, the opportunity to to maybe find the spaces and, and find a bit more freedom and creativity. Whereas it felt like perhaps before when when we were still in the three, it become a formation where it was like everyone has to be in their positions and be exactly there. And it had to work a lot more based on kind of neat passing and, and finding those players rather than looking for the spaces, which I think is what, what we saw yesterday and we, which was why it felt like such a, I guess, particularly in the first half, such like a thrilling game, right? And, and you know, for the exception of some rather strange refereeing, Chelsea could have gone in at halftime, you know, 4-0 up, basically. Tom, were you surprised at all at the, the makeup of the team, if not the formation? I'm thinking specifically of 
say Trevor Chalaber, I think had started 11 games in a row before the break, left out so that, you know, 38-year-old, soon-to-be one-legged Thiago Silva in this game <laughs> could play again, having played every minute at the World Cup for Brazil, as did Koulibaly. Thought maybe Chalaber could have started. Yeah, that that was a slight concern. I, I mean, that's quite a an old centre-half pairing as well. And I guess they, they they would have looked at the opposition and decided that there wasn't they weren't concerned about players running beyond the centre backs. I suppose when you have Reese James in your team, as a sort of, you know with the burst of pace that he's got, and he can he can shuffle across and and help out the centre halves if if those scenarios do arise. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I guess that they're, Graham Potter is juggling his his resources, what few resources he has at the moment, um, with the fixtures in mind. Uh, maybe Trevor Chalaber comes back in for Forest away um, as 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 a a quicker option in there, and maybe and one of the centre halves is the more experienced and older centre halves is then rested. But I thought that they looked so comfortable in that setup. I thought with the four at the back, yes, definitely, but also with the the makeup of the the two sitters in midfield. I mean, we haven't seen that very often with with Graham Potter. Zakaria looked looked really good. I mean he he was he was suggesting that he didn't hadn't played particularly well post match, but actually I thought he was a big physical presence in there and and at both ends of the pitch and he, he very leggy, very energetic, exactly what you needed alongside Jorginho. I thought Mason Mount was just brilliant as a number 10. I mean that's the best performance from Mason Mount in a, in months. I mean that he looked so comfortable in there and was I mean, one you'd look up, and one minute he was he was attacking, and he's in the opposition box and causing all kinds of mischief. And then five seconds later, he's defending in his own area as well. He was proper box to box, doing his job at both ends of the pitch, and he he sort of allowed Sterling and Pulisic to thrive as well. And Kai Havertz, I mean, somewhere in the in Europe, Liam is is still salivating over that performance from Kai Havertz as well. You know, a predatory finish and and a good slippery number nine performance I thought he was excellent so it all looked so comfortable but I I, I do think and this will bring us on to the next subject I, su- I suspect but I do think that having Reese James in your team allows you to play that way because you know that there's one side one entire flank at both ends of the pitch is completely shorn up you've, you've, you're going to dominate that side before we get to Reese James, Jesse, I wanted to talk about that front three because two of them scored. Mount on his 150th Chelsea start, which is pretty good going for a 23-year-old. And, and Havertz has got this slightly strange quirk. That was his 26th goal for Chelsea. 18 of them have been scored at Stamford Bridge. And we've, we've spent much of the, the World Cup period worrying about who's going to get the goals for Chelsea and who's going to play up front. Have they Have they solved the equation here with Mount? Sterling and Pulisic or is that just something that worked against a pretty limited opposition? I do think the Reese James factor does have an impact in terms of how good the front four looked just even in terms of as soon as Reese James came off and Azpilicueta came on and I know Bournemouth had kind of changed their shape as well but it felt like you can just kind of logically see this you're a lot less worried about Reese James going forward than you are as Pelaqueta. And if you're worried about Reese James, that frees up the space for Raheem Sterling to um, make those movements and, and look dangerous coming in behind. I did think what was interesting was that all of the front four feels like it had they had very different World Cup experiences. Because it's easy to kind of fall into that cliche, right? Where you're like, oh, he had a good World Cup and he's come back in great form. And you kind of feel like that about Pulisic, right? He he looked good at the World Cup, he was fit, he 
you know, played well, I think, for America. But then Kai Havertz was pretty anonymous in a bad Germany side. Raheem Sterling missed a load of time because he obviously had to go home. And Mason Mount probably didn't play anywhere near as much as he wanted to for England. So I think it was, that was exciting as a result, given that they hadn't, it wasn't just all a World Cup bounce for them. That it did feel like there was something gelling there in a way that maybe we hadn't seen before and that there was an energy there as well. And I feel like that's also going to be what's important, you know, even aside from what happens with Reese James is this team feeling like, okay, they've had a break. They've had some more time with Graham Potter. This is the reality now, you know, <laughs> this is their manager. What's happened before has happened. And to kind of go forward with, with a bit more positivity and, and with the feeling of like, it's not just this turgid <laughs> football all the time. Um, lots of positivity apart from the subject that we've been skirting around so far. The injury to Rhys James it uh, has formed the basis of Dom's post-match piece. If you want to read that and you're not a subscriber, by the way, there's a special festive subscription offer to The Athletic on now. It's only a pound a month for the first 12 months, but you better be quick about that because the offer only runs until New Year's Day. Um, Dom, it would have been pretty much right in front of you in the press box, wouldn't it, when um, where Rhys James went down and, and initially you're kind of hoping, oh, he's pulled a muscle in that way that everybody does when they come back from long-term injuries but it quickly became apparent that it was the the same problem rearing its head we don't know as we record the extent of it but just a horrible moment for forever it really sucked the life out of the out of the stadium I thought yeah it did it did and it's strange when when it happened you think it was another about the 50th minute and he, he seemed to sort of twist as he was playing a, he was shielding the ball from Jaden Anthony, I think it was on the touchline, and that's when we assumed that that uh, that he tweaked something in the knee again because he he went he eventually he goes down on his haunches and then he goes down and he just flops to the ground on his on his back with his head in his hands and you can see he's absolutely devastated. But if you actually rewind the video slightly on the on uh, the coverage of that game, about a minute prior to that, he he flicks a ball inside a very innocuous little ball inside to to Koulibaly with the outside of his right foot and he's sort of twisting as he does it. And he immediately looks to the bench and just taps his right knee and says something and taps his right knee. And, and Chelsea actually are countering attacking at the, at the time. And Raheem Sterling is is running into space on the right. And you would normally expect Reese James to be sort of sprinting up on the outside to support Raheem Sterling, but he doesn't appear. He doesn't. He doesn't go that. He stays put. He stays in his own half. Uh, he's retreated back into sort of narrow back four. And he clearly was feeling it then. And unfortunately, his instincts took over when the ball is pummeled downfield by the goalkeeper. And he goes and has that little intervention with, with Anthony again. And, and that's when he signals to the bench, I've really got, I've got to come off, um, which is worrying, which is worrying. It is definitely, it looked like the right knee again. There were a few people sort of saying, oh, he's walked off. So that's got to be a good sign. But I think he walked off in Milan as well. So that's, 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 that's not great. It was, it was eight weeks minimum last time. He was in a knee brace for a month. Um, and I imagine that they'll, that Chelsea will be looking at that today at, down at Cobham and, and fearing that, that that similar prognosis is going to be given. Therefore, Jesse, are they going to have to try and sign somebody in that position next month, do you think? We know they can't or they're not going to recall Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, that that um, option to, to bring him back has gone. So they, they might have to see if they can find somebody to fill in. Yeah, I think they're going to have to. And to be honest, I think they needed to regardless of the, the James injury. Although I guess the nature of it and the prognosis around it might change how they look at that position. I feel like 
it's kind of already been clear that the drop-off between James and Azpilicueta is, is far too big, realistically, for for Chelsea to kind of get up to that level. And, and, you know, you look on the other side, and obviously I don't think Kukurea has covered himself in glory so far this season, but, you know, you at least feel like he's a decent option when, when Ben Chilwell's unavailable. I guess the problem is when you've got a player of Reese James's calibre is who do you persuade to come and play in a position where when Reese James is fit, there's a very, very clear starter, you know, maybe more so than any other position in the Chelsea starting eleven, to be honest. That causes a problem, I think, especially if you're now looking at someone, say, who you're like, well, we need them to play for a month, two months to kind of hit the ground running to make a big difference and then and then not play again for the rest of the season, potentially, I guess, hopefully, if you think hopefully Bruce James stays fit. I feel like that's a very kind of hard profile of player to find, particularly when you consider Reese James's age, too. It's a tough one as well, isn't it, Don? Because you, at that position of the pitch, you can't get a, away with, say, having a left footer. I'm, I'm just sort of desperately looking through the Chelsea squad, the youth squad and people on loan and thinking, well, Ian Martson's probably quite a similar type of fullback, but you can't have a left footer playing on the right and, and he's at Burnley for this season. So, oh, for a Tarek Lamptey or a Tino Livramento to still be uh, at the club. Yeah, although, look, we need... It's all very easy to say that when, when Reese James goes down injured, but we have to remember that... I mean, Tarek Lamptey would have been a very frustrated figure on the sidelines if he'd been playing as Reese James's deputy for the last couple of years. Um, and Tino Livramento, you know, although there was a it was a level of surprise when he when he did leave, he's been injured as well with a long term problem with his knee. So uh, there are no instant solutions there. I mean, I, I guess you do have to fill in. There was such a massive drop-off, though, when, when Azpilicueta came on. And I know the scenario of the game played into that to a certain extent. Chelsea had won the match. It was 2-0. And, you know, for, for all the Bournemouth were huffing and puffing, they weren't ever really going to score a goal. But if you even look at the touch map, we have one of those funny graphics that they drop into the piece. And the, the touch map for Reese James, the, the number of times he gets to the, far, the the byline and to get crosses in from the byline uh, in that in that top right-hand segment of the pitch... Aspilicueta didn't get there once in in his period on the pitch. He he didn't he didn't get beyond the eighteen yard box. Um, he he is a as we know he's a diagonal crosser of the ball. I mean he, there was a period where he, he was supplying Chelsea strikers with crosses, but they were all coming from deep. So it's a very 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 different type of player, and he's he's aggressive in his own way. He, he's you know he's a he's a nuisance value almost with with. Uh, with with Aspi these days, he was winding Bournemouth players up. He was he was, you know, there was the game an element of gamesmanship. I was going to say in 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 the way he approached it all, but it's not the same as Reese James. It's not the same as having that muscular up and down that flank, that presence that is going to really unsettle teams. And and I mean, you could tell Zamora, the the left wing back, and and I think it was Lloyd Kelly, the the, the left sided centre half. They had no idea how to cope with James in the first half, and it, to the extent that Bournemouth changed their system at half time because they were getting they were getting punched to pieces down that flank by James's runs. They couldn't deal with him, and unfortunately for Chelsea, it looks as if opponents won't have that problem in for the foreseeable future. Mm. Well, Chelsea did manage to keep a clean sheet here for the first time in a while. They had gone seven without before that. A stat from Squawker telling us that Kepper has the best save percentage in the Premier League 
uh, this season. Jesse, as we round off the Bournemouth game, I can't really work out if I'm feeling more optimistic about Chelsea finishing in the top four or not after this result coupled with what's happened elsewhere. So they are, what, six points behind Spurs with a game in hand, but wins for Man United, Newcastle flying as well. Right now, are you thinking Chelsea are going to make it? Well, at least we're above Fulham again. That's one uh, big benefit <laughs> of the of the weekend. Um, I don't know. It looks tough. I feel like of all the teams above us, I don't think Spurs look amazing. And I wonder if Brighton will drop off. But there's a lot of teams who've come back from the break and looked in good form. You know, Liverpool looked good. United, although albeit against Forest and Offence, also looked good. Um, I thought last night. So I think the thing that worried me a bit defensively last night was it still all looked a bit shaky and nervous, even against Bournemouth. And I feel like there were opportunities there for better teams to exploit some of the uncertainty that I still felt kind of lay between Thiago Silva, Jorginho and Koulibaly. Equally, the the Thiago, the amount of games Thiago Silva has played, it just doesn't feel sustainable, and that feels concerning as well. Going into what will be, you know, a busy couple of months. So, I think it's a strange one. I think it feels like Potter still hasn't really figured out what his favoured defensive lineup is. Obviously, not helped by when you lose players like Rhys James when you haven't had Ben Chilwell available as well, who presumably would be someone you at least see as a very regular rotation option and frees up Kukurea to play, play at centre-back if so. So I don't know. I definitely think there are four teams who look better than Chelsea still in the Premier League right now. And But there's so many games in this time of the year that it's, you can feel like you've watched a team play well for a couple of games and suddenly they go on a drawing and losing streak a bit in the similar way that Chelsea obviously had before the break. And I think they kind of just have to hope that that happens to someone else and they pick up the, the wins and suddenly the table starts to look a bit better for them. Yeah, mixed bag of fixtures in January. Got to play City twice in League and Cup, Liverpool away, but also Forest, which we'll talk about later, Fulham and Crystal Palace. So we'll see how we get on in those fixtures next today, though. We'll have an update on the women's team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Hulu. 
So news broke just before the Bournemouth game that Chelsea are set to sell striker Bethany England to Tottenham for £250,000. Um, Jesse, she's only started two WSL games this season. It's a big fee, WSL-wise. She'll score plenty of goals for Spurs, who are who are not a threat to Chelsea in terms of the league, at least. Sounds like everybody's happy. Yeah, I think it is a very good deal, albeit quite a surprising one. Not in terms of that Chelsea want to sell her. I think it's been, you know, clear for a long time that Beth England's a player of the quality to to start within the WSL and she was never going to be starting for Chelsea. I feel like sometimes there's been more clamour for her to play than has maybe been justified by the level of her performances. But I also think she's a player who maybe benefits from having that kind of confidence and regular game time, which again, Chelsea were just never going to be able to give. The fee, I think, is the the astonishing thing about the deal um she does have 18 months left on her contract so again Chelsea were always in a very strong position when it came to allowing her to move on but you know for context that's more than Chelsea paid for from Manchester United for Lauren James who's a player who is you know much younger with a much 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 higher ceiling um I feel like I don't know I mean Spurs have had a pretty dire start to the season I don't know if them signing a goal scorer is really going to help because I feel like the problem is, is you have to create a chance for the goal scorer. Um, but it's obviously clear that they feel like they need, I think, a bit of a statement signing. And, you know, when you've looked at teams like Villa, probably spending maybe not quite as much, but maybe 150 to 200,000 on Rachel Daly over the summer. Uh, obviously, United are now, you know, well and truly kind of in a title race and look very far removed from a Spurs team who they came up from the championship at the same time as I think this is maybe an attempt by Tottenham to say, you know, we're taking this seriously. And and this is how, you know, because we've spent what in normal footballing terms is actually, you know, a one week players wages on, on Bethany England. In terms of her Chelsea career, um, the highlight that, that match winning brace against Arsenal in the, in the 2020 Conti Cup final. Yeah, and that that whole that whole season, really, I guess, you know, if she's a player who I think COVID, coupled with the arrival of Sam Kerr, obviously, kind of really influenced her Chelsea career. And I think that's why her departure, I feel, is a bit bittersweet for some some Chelsea fans. You know, she was a player who who we signed, you know, quite early on in her career and she had to go out on loan to Liverpool to sort of get game time. And there was a feeling like, you know, was she going to make it? it obviously coming in for like basically replacing any Aluko right at the club. Um, and then she just totally exploded in, in the 2019-20 season. Um, I think she scored, you know, 15 goals in 14 games, basically propelled Chelsea to to the sort of points per game COVID title. Yeah, obviously the Continental Cup final as well. But Chelsea signed Sam Kerr in January. And I don't know if that was always a reflection with maybe the club still felt as good as her form was. They wanted something more like there's no doubt that Sam Kerr is a better striker than Bethany England because Sam Kerr is probably the best striker in the world so you know that's that's no beef on her and her quality really um but obviously it meant that that she did have limited game time although you know Chelsea have played her and Kerr as a, a two and you know played Kerr kind of out left with England as a three but I feel like ever since Kerr found her form it's never really clicked for England in the same way that it did in that that 2019-20 season. So it looks like her last appearance for Chelsea was in the 3-0 win against PSG at Stamford Bridge last week. She came off the bench in that one. Um, some lovely goals in this game, Jesse, and kind of a good illustration of, of how Chelsea just cruised their way through the group in the end. 
Yeah, I thought this was a really important win and an important performance as well because that Champions League group, it, it felt like it could have been a banana skin for Chelsea, but they finished on more points than any other team in the Champions League uh, group stages. Um, obviously, didn't lose any of the games, only conceded one goal. But even so, I think the nature of the performances against PSG and Real Madrid before the Stamford Bridge game still kind of left a bit to be desired. And... I mean, I didn't think PSG were particularly good, but they had something to play for because if they'd won by two or more goals, they would have topped the group. So I think for Chelsea to kind of comprehensively win, laid down a bit of a marker in terms of finishing the group off on a high. Uh, Sam Kerr's goal also was just absolutely ridiculous. And during the World Cup, she's not been in the greatest of form, um, which has caused much consternation amongst Chelsea women fans. Um, but yeah, picking up the, the ball just outside the penalty area, chopping in in front of the defender and, and smashing the ball with her weaker left foot was a, a pretty good answer to any critics, I think. Certainly was. Uh, the draw, by the way, for the quarters and semi-finals to take place at the same time. That is on the 10th of February. The quarterfinals are played at the end of March. Uh, right. OK, next, I'm going to take some deep breaths into a paper bag in a vain effort to fend off hyperventilation as Dom and Jesse preview Forest versus Chelsea. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. A New Year's Day then, will you be groggy, listener? I'm sure you'll rouse yourself by late afternoon when Chelsea are Trent side to take on Nottingham Forest. Uh, oh, Dom, I don't really know how I'm going to tee this up. I, sort of, my, my brain is telling me this should be a routine away win. But then actually Forest have been all right, particularly at home of late. So, so who knows? What do you think? I've not lost at the city ground since mid-September. Yeah. Also, Months. we're two 0 up against Bournemouth and lost three two there. So yeah, that was all before that, though. You know, <laughs> come on. Um, well, I, I, we shouldn't be talking about Forest. You should be talking about Forest. But but it, it struck me that 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 little four match unbeaten run in in all competitions, including the League Cup wins over Spurs and, and Blackburn, will have will have bolstered things. They had a, they had a good win against Palace just before the just before the World Cup um, as as well. Uh, a, a draw with Forest, uh, with with Brentford in there as well. So I mean, it's they look a, a more awkward proposition now than they did when they were trying to assimilate 312 new players under Steve Cooper in the first few months of the of the season. So I, I would imagine that 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 Chelsea will come up against a more cohesive unit and that they won't be too downhearted with what happened at Old Trafford um, on the, on Tuesday night. That you know that's a difficult game for any newly promoted team. Whereas 
Chelsea at home, okay, in in the past, Chelsea, playing Chelsea is is a daunting prospect. But maybe, but maybe they look at it and think, well, particularly without Rhys James, maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe they can they can um, hang on in the game and and and, and cause some problems themselves uh, going forward. But I mean, you tell me, what what is the mood like? Is is, is there confidence now? Do they feel more co- cohesive now as a unit than they did? Yes, absolutely. I think they really could have done without the World Cup break because they just uh, managed to get some momentum. And like you say, the, the game at Man United, a newly promoted team are likely to lose that 3-0. So there's not too much to be concerned about. I think the only issue is is who's going to be a reliable goal scorer uh, for Forest, which is often the issue, isn't it, for newly promoted yeah. teams. But one thing that is in their favour, Jesse, is the fact that the, the atmosphere at the city ground is particularly fervent these days. And, and I'm always kind of loath to put too much stock in that, but I'm just looking at some of Chelsea's away performances this season and the very worst of them, I'm thinking specifically Leeds and Brighton in the Premier League have come in kind of bear pit-like atmospheres and, and maybe Chelsea have struggled to deal with that a little bit. So that'd be something to be wary of in this game. Well, clearly we can't rely on Kai Havertz scoring either by the sounds of your stats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do think it is something that it feels like Chelsea have struggled with, but it's hard when I feel like I've watched so many performances where it feels like Chelsea have struggled to really pinpoint that as being the, the decisive factor. It feels like too many factors going on. But I think it will be a, a tough game for, for Chelsea, especially if there is a bit of a hangover from the, the Reese James injury rather than New Year's Eve. Um, because it feels like that, it just feels like this game is so important for Chelsea in terms of picking up some momentum before doing the City games back to back because... Otherwise, that feels like it could be a really, really, you know, tough run where potentially you're looking at three games in a in a row where if you've not got a win, it's just like the worst, obviously, the worst way to, to start the year. So I think Chelsea will feel pressure to go and, and put in a good performance. Um, and it's a shame because I think aside from the James thing, they would have gone into that game with the confidence of having, you know, just beaten a newly promoted side comprehensively and looked really good. But it feels like the kind of last 30 minutes has now just put a bit of a a tinge on that experience. Mm, Well, Chelsea have won the last seven meetings. Most of those have been in the FA Cup in recent years. They haven't lost at the City Ground since 1997. Uh, Producer Lucy's dad was in attendance that day. He'll be there on New Year's Day as well. I wonder if Mateo Kovacic and Hakim Ziyech will be dom. It might be a temptation to put Kovacic back in as good as you thought Zakaria was against Bournemouth. Yeah, Graham Potter confirmed that, that they'd both be available, all, you know, training injuries aside um, in the meantime for the game at, at, at Forest. So that that is good news. And, and yeah, Kovacic in particular you'd imagine would that would get come back into the into the team. Maybe they'd they'd look to to stiffen it up slightly and play the the three in midfield for for that game. Although it it would be a shame, you know, with Mason Mount having done so well against Bournemouth and 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 the assumption that he might find similar types of space, but I guess there are knock on effects again from from James's likely absence as well to take into account on that. I'm intrigued to see how Ziyech is sort of welcome back into the fold because you know if Pulisic was a surprise playing against against Bournemouth then um, Ziyech was excellent at that World Cup I mean really really good for, for Morocco in and in a you know the team that surprised everybody at the tournament you'd imagine that he would carry some confidence and form back with him from Qatar and it's just whether they can reintegrate him into into the team and 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 give him the platform to express himself in the same way that Morocco did. Um, he, he's he's never he would argue he's never really had that at Chelsea. I think Chelsea might suggest that 
he hasn't really seized the opportunities he has been given. But but uh, having him as an option in the squad will be will be useful for Potter at the moment. Do you think he's worth persisting with, Jesse, or, or do you think he wants to be persisted with, or does he think that his time at Chelsea's come to an end? It's a tricky one, right? Because, you know, obviously the new coaching team hasn't been in place for a long period of time. You kind of feel like if there was to be a fresh start, this would be it. But then equally it feels like watching Chelsea yesterday with the kind of speed and the interchange and the runners that you kind of got from having playing Pulisic, Mount and Sterling, and then thinking about the profile of Ziyech, that's something that I feel like doesn't really cohere in my mind still. And I feel like part of the reason he excelled at Mor- for Morocco was because he was kind of able to be this, you know, one attacking fulcrum, basically, which, you know, the ball kind of went through and then he could choose to do what he wanted with it. And I feel like, you know, so much of his skill and talent is about him as an individual. And I think in a team where you're kind of the star and the person that people really rely on, that can really elevate the team. But I think at a side like Chelsea, you need something a bit different. You need a player who it feels like fits with the rest of your attacking components. And I've just never felt like Ziyech has gelled. And I don't think it's even necessarily his fault, but just stylistically with the rest of, Chelsea's attacking lineup, and I mean, you know, that's something that we've seen with strange transfer policies over the past years, anyway. And it's obviously something that Bowley and Co are keen to sort out with the re- recruitment they've done, you know, for the front office. But that's just something that I feel like has never quite clicked for me. And, and to be honest, I don't really see how that changes. All right. Well, whoever plays, we will react to it on our next pod, which is going to be recorded the day after that game. It's on New Year's Day. Kicks off at half past four UK time. All right. Let's do a quiz. Your uncle at Christmas. Also, me. (laughs) It's forest related, I'm afraid, guys. So I've had to scratch around a lot. It's just going to be 1979 and 1980. To quote those numbers, that'd be fine. Yeah, when Forrest won and then retained the European Cup. Incredible stuff. Um, right, Dom, you're <laughs> up first. Which former Chelsea striker came off the bench for Forrest in the 86th minute of a 3-1 Blues win at the City Ground in February 1999? Neil Shipley. Oh, straight away. That was easy, wasn't it? Ex-Palace, yeah. Um, not very good for Forrest, but there we go. Uh, Jesse, which of the following Chelsea Academy graduates did not have a loan spell at Forrest? Nathaniel <laughs> Chalaber. Sam Hutchinson, Lewis Baker, or Todd Kane? Nathaniel Chalaber. Dom, do you want to steal it? Lewis Baker. Is correct, I'm afraid. Unlucky, Jesse. Puts you on the back foot very much. Um, Dom, second question. Chelsea beat Forest 2-0 at Stamford Bridge in the most recent meeting between the teams. It was an FA Cup third round tie in January 2020. Callum Hudson-Odoi opened the scoring that day. Against whom did he score his only goal of the season so far for Bayer Labour? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want a clue? Because it is quite a hard question. Go on. I did write a clue in, but then you just pinched Jesse's answer, so I didn't say it initially. But the reaction on your face tells me you won't get it otherwise. It was in the Champions League. <laughs> it's a relief. I was going to say Bayern Munich. But, uh, <laughs> in the Champions League. Who did Bayern Leverkusen head in there? 
Um, Bruges? Massive moment this, if you can steal it, Jesse. I've got no, I can't even think who was in violated because anything that was before the World Cup was too long ago for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was, I feel like it was a Spanish teammate. I don't know. No, I've got no idea. Just, just give us a guess. Um, I feel like it was a Spanish team. Which Spanish teams were in the Champions League group stage? <laughs> this is where you really uh, embarrass yourself. Yeah. Elche. Um, Atletico Madrid. He's absolutely right. Yes. <laughs> well done, Jesse. Um, that makes it 2-1 ahead of your second question. So this is big. Which current Premier League striker was the most recent player to join Chelsea from Forest back in January 2012. Current Premier League striker. Mm. See the cogs whirring in both brains. Oh, God. I'm just trying to go through. Dominic Slanky? Dominic Fifield, you can steal it. Patrick Bamford? Patrick Bamford oh. is correct. Yes. Grade nine violin. Clever fella. Uh, didn't ever play for the Chelsea. Grade nine violin. There aren't, there aren't nine grades. What? Aren't there? <laughs> no. Let's have a look. There are eight. As a grade eight violin myself, I can confirm. Yeah, likewise, you've got two here now. (laughs) (laughs) Are you grade eight as well, Dom? Yeah. Dom, we can duet together. Well, yeah, that's definitely happening on the end of season show. (laughs) (laughs) Blue is the colour on grade eight violin. In duo, followed by violin. My violin refuses to play blue as the colour of (laughs) violin. Um, we better finish this even though I've just embarrassed myself Uh, Dom here's your final question which ex-Chelsea defender who featured at the recent World Cup made his home debut in the Blues 2-0 win against Forest in the FA Cup in January 2020 Tarek Lamptey Tarek Lamptey is correct flying today Uh, just to salvage a bit of pride more than anything then Jesse your final question which current Forest player got sent off at the World Cup Uh, Wayne Hennessy Wayne Hennessy is correct. 4-2, the final score. See, I told you, World Cup onwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dom, you had an unfair advantage with the Neil Shipley one. Neil Shipley, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I might not know much about the grading systems of uh, violins, but I think he did well to spin out six questions on Chelsea versus Forest. <laughs> and none of them involved European Cups. No, they didn't, no. Um, yeah. Anyway, who's going to get the third star first, I wonder? (laughs) Uh, I don't really wonder. It's going to be Chelsea, isn't it? Uh, Right, before we go, a reminder of that special festive subscription offer. You can sign up to The Athletic for just a pound or a dollar a month for the first 12 months, but be quick because that offer runs out on New Year's Day. Um, Don, we mentioned your post-match piece from last night. You got anything else in the pipeline? Um, not that I'm aware of. Having a slight role change, I'm going to go and uh, start commissioning pieces from Simon and Liam in the uh, new year. So, so I hope they're having a good 
break at the moment because life's going to become very difficult for them very quickly. <laughs> uh, well, Simon's piece on Chelsea's transfer window priorities feels particularly pertinent after the Bournemouth game. So go check that out uh, if you so desire. Jesse, are you having a bit of a break given that the um, the WSL has still got a couple of weeks off or are you busy? No, lovely to have a little break. Yes, no WSL until Chelsea Arsenal on January the 15th. So just enjoying, you know, my Christmas like the players. And you're going to have a very happy birthday tomorrow, we hope, too. Um, best wishes from everybody here and all the listeners as well for that. Um, listener, many thanks to you for being with us today. What kind of shape I'm going to be in on January the 2nd when we record uh, is TBC, but we will handle all the fallout of that game against Forest, And we'll look ahead to the upcoming fixtures and plenty more as well. Join us for that if you can. For now, though, from all of us, it's goodbye. The Athletic.